You're listening to Beyond the Measure, episode 30. Listen as I, a young choir director, and my husband, a young composer, interview other music educators in order to gain insight into their own success in the classroom. We have a lot to learn, and we want you to learn with us. No matter your age, ensemble, or experience, this is the ideal podcast for music educators, composers, and students alike. So join us as we go Beyond the Measure. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Measure. I'm your co-host, Kara. And I'm the other co-host, Christian. And yeah, we are the hosts of Beyond the Measure. That's right. In case you didn't know, if this is your first time joining us, thank you. Uh, This is a podcast where we just talk to a bunch of amazing music educators just to learn all about what they do well in the classroom so that uh, you and we as well can uh, do better ourselves in the classroom because it's a very important thing and we need more of it in the world. Well, how have things been, Christian? Well, they've been good. I, uh, As of recording this, uh, last week I was all across DFW area. Dallas Fort Worth uh, recruiting for Hardin Simmons University. Um, in case you haven't heard in some of the previous episodes, I've talked about uh, my full time uh, day job, I guess you could call it. Uh, I'm an admissions counselor at Hardin Simmons, where we both went to school, our, our alma, alma mater. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's always fun going and traveling around, talking to students, and especially talking to music students, uh, students interested in music. Um, that's a really cool thing that not a lot of people get to see is just finding high school students who are already at the point where, you know, where we were in high school that know, okay, I want to go to college. I want to study music. That's what I want to do with my life. And so really, really cool. Um, I've actually recommended this podcast to some of them as a resource, just because I'm like, Hey, you might as well start learning now if that's what you know you're, you're going to do going forward. So it's been, it's been fun. How have you been Kara? I've been pretty good. We've um, I guess whenever this comes out, we would have ju- we have just started the second six weeks of the school year, which is just insane that this first six weeks seems to have gone by so slow yet so fast at the same time. Um, but you can kind of tell that it's about to start the second six weeks because you know the the newness of the school year is it has worn off on the kids and on me, and so now. It's just like, okay, we're still doing this, guys. Like, Well, you were, you were just up the other night making a new seating chart, weren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, two days ago, I was making a seating chart for my 47th, sixth graders, girls that I have, who just are chatty. They're a chatty group. Um, so they weren't happy the next day where they were. But you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Um, but we'll we'll quit going on and on about our own stuff, but we'll get right into the episode. We have a, a very special guest on our show today. Um, I say special guest every time because you know they're all they're all special um, and we love having them. Um, but today's guest is especially awesome because uh, we have Dr. Frank Eichner, who um, at the time uh, when we recorded this, actually he was kind of already in the process of transitioning out. Um, but uh, in the past, he was the choir director at the University of Texas at Permian Basin. Um, 
And again, if you've been listening to the show, you will know that uh, Frank is the one that actually commissioned me to write a choral piece for his ensemble at UTPB, uh, and it's called Shakachi. Um, and that's the same piece that Sarah Gleason, who we had on the show um, just a few episodes ago, um, her choir did a shortened version of that. So it's been really cool um, how you, Frank presented that kind of opportunity for me in commissioning me, and then eventually got me connected to Sarah because of that, even though that was just kind of an indirect uh, result of that. So just a cool example of how uh, commissioning composers is really beneficial for uh, for people like me and for everyone involved. Um, but Frank is awesome. Um, I got to go work with his choir at UTPB. Um, really, really great group. Um, and they've done a lot of great stuff over there. They, they commission multiple composers a year, which is a really cool thing. Uh, but now, uh, Frank is actually now, uh, in a new position this year, and he is the director of choral activities at the university of central Arkansas, um, which I found out is in Conway, Arkansas, which is actually where my family, we lived there for like six months when I was in kindergarten. That's actually where I started uh, grade school in kindergarten was in Conway, Arkansas. So fun fact there, that uh, was before we moved to before we moved to Kansas City uh, later that year. So anyways, fun facts there. Uh, but Frank is awesome, really great conductor. Um, because I got to go and work with his students, I really got to see uh, and experience what he is like in rehearsals. And he's just, he's so fun. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He's serious. He's very succinct uh, with the, with, you know, how he conducts and how he teaches while keeping it fun all at the same time. But today, uh, the the topic that we focused on for this discussion was uh, what Frank likes to call sustainability in the profession. So basically, how can you sustain yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those different aspects so that you can continue to do your best work? Am I saying that right, Kara? Yeah. So we will have show notes in the description. Again, uh, we've started having actual show notes that you can download just from a, a Google Drive link. Uh, so you can kind of have a, an outline uh, of all the, all the great points that our guests touch on all throughout these episodes. So um, without further ado, enjoy our interview with Dr. Frank Eichner. Frank, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate it course delighted to be with you yeah well i'm i'm, I'm excited for for this one because uh very we, we both have a very special relationship with you and especially for for me as a composer uh you know you were you're one of the first people that really um i, I like to say uh, was one of my first big commissions because yeah. it was i mean it was right i mean it was uh you know with with uh an, an actual full-on college level ensemble and so that was exciting for me um but uh, Kara, do you want to tell our listeners kind of how we met Frank? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it was, I guess it was two years, almost two years ago yeah, now. Yeah, about, about two years. Um, Is that all? It seems like it's been longer. No, <laughs> it really has. Um, we, and I was in the Midland Odessa area taking some students to um, audition for, I guess, the second round of all region. And it was also the region clinic and concert. And I just remember I was, it, all the kids were eating pizza and I was just kind of standing there. And, um, you came up to me and you introduced yourself to me. And, um, then we got on the topic of Christian and you're like, Oh, well, I love to commission people all the time. So whenever he gets here tomorrow, we like get in contact with him. Like, so then they networked and, yeah, and then here we are. Yep, it's a small world. It's funny how those, you know, happy, 
happy moments turn into, you know, a relationship and then commissioning and, of course, coming you and having you come and work with our choir and then, of course, being able to perform your music at uh, National ACDA. Pretty cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and it, the whole, I mean, from start to finish, I mean, the whole process was just so, so beneficial to me as a, especially as a young composer. Cause you know, like I just said before, I'd never really done anything quite at that level before. And then as you just mentioned, going out and actually working with your choir and, and then on top of that, getting a performance at ACDA, I mean, those were all big firsts for me. And, um, and that was the main reason I ended up even going to ACDA and having my own little booth there. And so, um, so I'm I'm just very grateful for all the opportunities that that you provided to me so it's it's been great well thank you i mean, it's been it's been a privilege to be a part of your journey in a small way and looking forward to to our next chapter Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right which which leads me to the first question so tell us tell us where you just were and where you are now um and then just kind of tell us your your story and you can go in however much depth you want with that and kind of just how you got to where you are now well, let me start with where I'm at now. I've recently accepted a position uh, as director of choral activities at the University of Central Arkansas. Uh, I'm at UCA for a number of reasons. It's a legacy program. Um, there's just been a lot of choral success here for decades and decades and decades. Uh, it's a larger program. I'm looking forward to directing a choir of 65, 70 students um, in the concert choir and then um, 30 or so in a very, very highly auditioned chamber choir. And then um, I'll also be teaching graduate students for the first time. So that's super exciting. That's been one of my professional aspirations for many, many years was to be able to work with graduate students. And then the second part of my answer to YUCA is really, really relevant to what our conversation is going to be about tonight. Um, I spent nine years at the University of Texas Permian Basin and loved the job, loved the people in West Texas, but uh, didn't enjoy living in West Texas. Fair. <laughs> and very, very different than West Texas. Conway um, Conway is beautiful. There's grass. There's, um, <laughs> there's trees. There's mountains. I spent yesterday after church. I went and took my dogs and went fishing all afternoon and uh, just caught a whole bunch of little fish in a little random creek in a national forest. And uh, just having the opportunity to do those things, I think, makes us better, better people, better partners, better friends, better teachers, because we are working from a place of, of, of wholeness and, f and, and f being able to pour out because I'm full. Um, I mentioned that I was at, uh, uh, University of Texas Permian Basin for nine years. Uh, when I got to the U University of Texas Permian Basin, there was uh, nine people in one choir. And, uh, this year we had five ensembles at the university. So we experienced a, an incredible period of growth. Uh, a ton of reasons for that at the top of that list would be just really great teachers in in West Texas. Uh, Kara certainly would be on that list, you know, just producing really, really uh, highly qualified students that are ready to come in and work hard, you know, and we just with a lot of really great team members there, we were able to create an environment where people could come in and uh, have good opportunities and experience success. And of course, we the choir performed at nationally at CDA this year, which is um you know, but one of my, my probably most significant professional accomplishments. Before I was there, uh, I was at uh, Colorado Christian University in the Denver metro area. Totally different profile of the school. Um, uh, Non-denomination, uh, Christian school, 
Uh, that's code for very, very little money and lots of tuition. <laughs> <laughs> Love my time at CCU, worked with a very, very different population of students. Um, but the, you know, the, the common thread is that they love to sing. The common thread is that they, they wanted to serve. Um, they wanted to serve people. Uh, and so loved my time at CCU, uh, made some incredible, incredible relationships that last a lifetime, uh, but was ready to, uh, was ready to move the, facilities were less than ideal. Um, not everybody wants to go to a Christian university, and I wanted to have the opportunity to work with kids from all walks of life that maybe couldn't afford that. Um, before that, I taught for three years at a junior college and then another five at a high school. So I've been in been in the business for a good long time. And that doesn't even tell you anything about my education or all of that crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, yeah, you've, you've moved around and you're, you're still moving. Uh, I mean, well, I, I wish you the best going into this, mm-hmm. this next position at, um, at central Arkansas and, and hopefully you can, I mean, I don't, I don't do, you, do you have plans to, to move forward? I know, I know you've just made a move, but so maybe you haven't really thought that far ahead, but. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I, you, <laughs> In the big picture, we've been here for, you know, a, a, a snap of the fingers, but I, I don't see any reason to ever have to move again. This is uh, – UCA is a um, – there is a lifetime of work here. Um, great environment. Uh, I love the faculty that I've met so far. It's a much larger school. There are 35 full-time faculty in the music department alone. Oh, my wow. gosh. Um, just just – my office is in a brand new facility. Um, yeah. So I absolutely could, could be here for the rest of my, of my career, but who knows, you know, life is uncertain. We don't, I, I will never know the answer to that question until <laughs> I get to the end. Okay. So, so you, you've kind of, you kind of provided us with a little outline of some, some thoughts you had had going into this episode. And um, can, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I mean, cause you obviously you have lots of experience and as we just discussed, you've been multiple different types of settings now um, as a, as a choir director and as a music educator. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of something that was kind of laying on your heart about you thought you might want to discuss today and kind of how you want to go through that. I finally landed on, you know, something that I've been thinking a whole lot about as somebody who's, I'm 53, uh, I've been teaching, uh, it'll be 30 years this fall. And how do I, how do I still have, uh, just an incredible excitement every day to go to work? How do I, how do I still have energy to, to show up? How do I not phone it in? Um, after doing it for a long time. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about uh, sustainability in the profession. How do we how do we continue to have the greatest impact that we're capable of in our 31st year as we did in our first or our fifth or our tenth? Because I think we have all seen folks that have have been really effective and then they just announced one day I'm quitting the profession because I'm burned out. Or, you know, we've seen others who have kind of had a slow slide. Uh, maybe at a time they were just, you know, incredible and dynamic and 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 they would tell you themselves, it just does, it's not the same as it used to be. And so I think um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what are the things that all of us need to do to be both effective in our job as well as to uh, 
be effective in our life. Uh, and so uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit today about, you know, some of the things that make it possible for us to continue to show up year after year and have a full cup so that from that full cup, we can pour into our students and into our colleagues and into our communities in the way that I think we got into the profession to do. And especially after, I mean, I feel like, I mean, obviously the teaching profession in general, not just for music has, has, has always been, you know, a, a tiresome thing, obviously. Um, but I think especially after, after COVID, I mean, there was just such a drastic change in dynamic in the classroom, which resulted in a change in dynamic with students and parents and so many different aspects that I know. I personally know um, uh, a lot of choir directors or and music teachers in general that it just, I mean, you, you just got a huge weight just thrown on top of you and it's, it, it caught so many people off guard. Yeah. Um, that's a true statement. I, um, I don't, I didn't experience the same level of, um, anxiety slash depression slash I guess I'm just too I'm just too dumb <laughs> to, to be to be scared about you know the possibility that sure. I maybe might get sick and that it maybe might be awful so yeah. you know I'm just blissfully ignorantly going along yeah. you know taking care of yeah. folks but that said I think that 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 we did see you know related to this conversation COVID definitely um, opened up some of the cracks that maybe were already there. And so we did see, you know, people that were tired suddenly, you know, that what had been a problem now was a crisis. We saw folks that, 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 um, that had, were experiencing some professional discontent. Suddenly, you know, they're, they're online looking at any job in any other profession. And we see the same thing um, in other professions. It was simply, it wasn't simply, music. Uh, but certainly there were a lot of our colleagues who saw a radical change in their day to day by virtue of the fact that, you know, you can't rehearse today. You can't have all your people in the same space at the same time. That um, that really showed us that that what was feeding us, what was keeping us going, maybe wasn't the thing that should have been keeping us going. Maybe it was about music making. And then when we couldn't do that, the people that we were called to serve wasn't enough. And I don't, I don't want to preach about that, but, um, but yeah, COVID COVID was real and it certainly had some massive impacts. And hopefully some of the things that we talk about today will provide some people with some, some real pathways forward to provide some healing, to provide some perspective, um, to maybe regain uh, some of the, some of the fire that maybe felt like the COVID, the COVID situation maybe might've taken out of our bellies. Let's take a quick break from this episode so that I can tell you about this podcast's primary sponsor, Christian Fortner Music. That's right. My own music business. If you're looking for fresh new music ranging anywhere from middle school choir to college level orchestra, there's a good chance I'll have it. And while I am a young composer, my music library is constantly growing as I write more and more. The way I sell the music is a little different from other music retailers as well, which I think you'll like. Instead of purchasing a minimum number of individual copies or parts, you'll purchase one PDF that includes all parts in it, of which you can print out as many times as you need. That way, you don't have to stress about purchasing a new part that you misplaced or feel the shame of only purchasing 10 copies for your ensemble of 40. Come on, we've all done it before. 
Now, if you'd like a sample of what my music is like, you can actually receive a completely free piece of music from a certain selection when you sign up for my mailing list. Plus, you'll be a part of other fun perks, such as receiving monthly updates from me and early access to podcast episodes such as this one. If that's something you'd be interested in receiving, you can do so at christianfortnermusic.com slash mailings. Yeah, and so so going into that subject, I mean, as you mentioned before, you you uh, graciously filled out this this little outline that that I send to all of our all of our guests just as a uh, it, they're welcome to fill out if they want to, and 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 so you you kind of wrote down a few points here that um, that just from looking at it look really good, and so I mean, would you mind just kind of telling us you know what are those points, and we can just kind of go into each one a little bit more in depth. Sure. Well. Uh- I will tell you that that I thought a lot about it, and I didn't spend a lot of time filling it out. So I will tell you the points, but I will tell you that I will likely digress from them quite a little bit today as our conversation takes us that way. And hey, that's all right. You know, as we just kind of have an organic, you know, over a cup of coffee, if you will, conversation. Sure. Um, but kind of the big the big things that I think anybody needs to have over time is you've got to have balance. We are just not creatures that are, are, we can't live in a constant state of fear. We can't live in a constant state of high, high, high. We've got to have periods of rest. We've got to have chances to, um, to renew. So balance, um, one of the secrets to sustainability in anything, but it certainly in teaching music is balance over time. We can't be all work all the time. We've got to take care of ourselves. Um, related to balance is renewal, but it's more, it's more than simply taking a break and having a cup of coffee or reading a good book. We have to have ways to systematically renew our perspective on what we're doing. If I show up in my 10th year and I'm trying to do class and teach exactly the same way that I was 10 years ago, it's going to be stale and boring for me and it's going to be stale and boring for my students. So when I say renewal, I mean, in part that I have to, I have to figure out how to continue to grow as a professional. I have to figure out ways to take that same lesson or that same sight reading that I've taught to the same group of seventh graders year after year after year and make it, make it new and fresh and exciting for me as well as for my students so that I'm not bored as a teacher. I'm not bored. I'm not just going through the motions. You know, as soon as we become like, you know, the person who puts in cog four of the widget in the factory, we're not going to be teaching with the same level of passion and excitement and energy that we were, you know, when we started in the profession. The last thing that I would say about sustainability in the profession, I've largely lumped it under something that I'm just going to call excellence. Partly because I didn't, couldn't think of anything better. But what I mean by that is that we as human beings are going to be happier and healthier and mentally more stable if we feel like we're accomplishing something that's worthy of accomplishing. So excellence in our profession looks differently depending on where I'm plying the craft of choral music. If I'm in a a classroom with a bunch of sixth graders that are learning how to use their voices for the very first time in a choral choral rehearsal, excellence looks very, very different than if I'm a music minister and I'm working with an elderly congregation. You know, maybe excellence in that second has as much to do about developing relationships and visiting somebody when they're recovering from a surgery and, you know, singing traditional music that that congregation wants to hear. None of that is going to be excellent in the context of teaching sixth graders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But 
for me to feel uh, like I'm a doing meaningful, important work, I've got to figure out what excellence looks like wherever it is that I happen to be blessed to do this thing, which is teach choral music. Um, if I'm not accomplishing that, I'm going to, I'm going to be frustrated. If I'm not feeling like I'm making a difference in the world, uh, I'm not going to feel like my potential is actualized. If I'm not, if I'm not feeling like what I'm doing is important, uh, I'm going to suffer from a lack of purpose, from a lack of self-worth. Uh, I'm not going to feel like I'm good at my job. So all of those things, figuring out those three things, balance, ways to renew ourselves, and ways to achieve excellence in our context are all going to be really, really important to uh, sustainability in a life in choral music. Yeah. So, uh, oh, man, really well said. All, th- all three of those things. I so I want to I want to go a little bit more in depth with each of these. We can kind of talk about more each of these points individually. Um, sure. I th- I think it might be a good idea to actually. I kind of want to start with excellence because I feel like out of all the things you mentioned, that is the one that is the kind of the foundation of everything else. Cause I, cause you can't, you don't want to lose any of any of those, but I feel like at the end of the day, if you don't have a vision and, and a deeper purpose for why you're doing what you're doing, it's so much harder to work, to find the other things, the renewal and the balance, um, because it's going to throw everything else off kilter. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. I, you know, the, unless you feel like you're doing, you're doing work that's worth doing it, unless you feel like you're, you know, you're accomplishing some of your professional objectives, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to feel like you want to show up at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be hard to, to, to feel like you want to seek out ways to be renewed because you feel like you're not accomplishing what you want to now. You know, when we talk about choral music and excellence, of course, the first thing that all of us do as musicians is we think about great performances. And while certainly that's an aspect of excellence, it's one, it's one way that excellence is manifested, I think it's essential for us to recognize that excellence is, has to look different depending on where I do my work. And this, is, this might be a controversial statement, but it's entirely possible that a choir could sing incredibly well and have it be a very unhealthy environment for the director and for the singers. So I guess I, when I say excellence in the context of renewal, certainly, I'm talking about doing what needs to be done at the highest levels to accomplish the greater good for the singers, for yourself. We have to take care of ourselves and for the communities where we work. So take any place that we happen to to do our job. Say, for example, I'm a high school choir director in West Texas. Kara, what are some of the things that would have to be in place for an outsider to say, this is an excellent program? Um, say that one more time. Sure. So uh, uh, let me phrase the question differently. What would make you feel like at the end of the day, I did a really great job today. What are some things that might happen during the, during during any given day in the life of a West Texas choral director? Yeah, um, the one thing that I really think about is at the end of the day, did like I make a connection with a student? Um, those kind of moments for me um, make me feel like I'm doing a good job, and um, also seeing the light bulb kind of click. 
uh, with a student, like a concept that they might have been confused about, being like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> um, or just seeing the students like kind of have that mountaintop moment um, in class. It doesn't even, it, it's almost never in a performance, but just having that mountaintop moment in class where they all feel the power of making music together. Um, those are kind of the ones that I think about. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I did a good job today. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I resonate with every one of those. You know, I think that regardless of whether I'm working with six-year-olds or 60-year-olds, a thing that any excellent program, any excellent choir, any excellent choral educator is going to have in common with a peer is that they are intentionally making connections. You know, I think that most people can agree that the maestro, you know, ruling from on high, you know, with their godlike powers, you know, and they're, we do, we're the instrument that they play on. I think most people agree that that, that model is dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it ever was alive, and I would suggest that it never was, unless we are being intentional to take care of our kids, our students, our singers, our adults, to serve their needs, to, to help them become better versions of themselves. Unless we're doing that, we can't, uh, we're not going to be sustainable in the profession. Because there's a part of us in the back of our mind that knows, I don't really care about this person. They're just another soprano. And I think that there's going to be a lot of guilt. There's going to be a lot of shame associated with that. And I think that will cause people to burn out. I think people can't, can only lie to themselves for so long. On the other hand, if you know you're really taking care of your folks, there can be some other things that don't happen. You mentioned that uh, the mountaintop moments almost never happen on stage. <laughs> You know, if if that mountaintop moment doesn't happen on stage, but you know for a fact that your folks are growing because you care about them and you've walked through them and through through stuff with them, then I think that you can look at your program and say, you know, excellence is happening here, even though we didn't happen to see it on any given Friday evening when we had a concert. Yeah. You know, the last thing that you said was the the learning moments, the light bulbs. I'm I'm a big believer in creating creating that moment where we're all just completely blown away by the beauty of, you know, that phrase, that chord, the musicality of that cutoff. It doesn't, we don't have to sing the entire four and a half minutes of a song perfectly. Man, if we can just balance and tune that chord and stop and celebrate that moment, you know, everybody's going to walk out going, oh my gosh, wasn't that so awesome? And you know, we have the privilege every day of helping people behold beauty, of helping people aspire through what we do to do it again, and recognizing that they're better people because they did it, uh, and not by themselves. They did it with other folks. So, so what do I mean by excellence? Well, we've been unpacking it. You know, if we were, again, I think context matters. For me as a choral director at, at a, a university, now with graduate students, I need to be turning out graduate students that are really prepared to go out and make the world a better place through their music making, uh, music making to the highest quality. You know, if somebody goes out and they, they're not a very good conductor, or maybe they don't really understand the voice, or maybe they don't really program well, I'm missing my mark. And so, you know, if somebody comes to UCA as a, as a graduate student, they're going to work closely with me. So I make sure when they graduate, 
And part of that's on me. You know, we, we talked about one of the reasons we go after excellence over and over and over again. It's because if we're not achieving excellence, we're going to get tired. We're going to be, we're going to feel like, man, I'm not accomplishing what I want to. Um, and we can talk more about those feelings of meaning and self-efficacy and, and worth and how they're manifested in in excellence. But But that's, in a nutshell, that's what I mean by excellence. It's not just singing everything in tune or super musical. All of those are types of excellence, but they are not the most important types. Yeah. Yeah. And from, from what I'm hearing from what both of y'all have said is the way I picture it is uh, like, I'm thinking everything that y'all just said was not focused on music so much as it was focused on people. Music was, is just the avenue of, of impacting the people you're using the music to, to grow people, not necessarily, not, not first the other way around. Right. Um, Yep. And you, you hear a lot of people talk about, and I'm not saying they necessarily mean this, but you know, it's, it's all about the music. We want to be, you know, as professional as we can and create an incredible performance. But at the end of the day, I mean, well, why do those incredible performances matter to us? I mean, it's, it's because the impacts people, whether you're on or off the stage. Um, and that's something, especially for me as a composer that I try to embrace all the time, because I usually find that, um, the, the times that it's hardest for me to write is whenever I'm just writing for myself, <laughs> but it's so much, uh, at least for me personally, <laughs> it, it's so much easier to write when I'm, I'm creating something that I know, well, this is not for me. And I'm not even necessarily saying, Oh, like it's a, for a commission, right? It's because these people are asking me to, but it's like, no, I'm creating something that I want to impact somebody. And I feel like those are the yep. times where it's like it, it, it loosens my mind up a little bit in a, in a good way. Right. And it, it makes everything, you know, flow a little bit more easily. Absolutely. You know, you said a couple of things, Christian, that, that I, that I think are, are super important. You know, the, I, I, when I was, when I was a young person as an undergraduate, I frequently had a couple of, a couple of different conductors that said, Hey, you know, just leave everything at the door, leave everything at the door, come in here. This is a special place. And we're all about the music. But I mean, if you think about that, that's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Um, how do you, how do we leave our lived experience? How do we how do we how do we leave you know our mom who's got a cancer diagnosis? How do we leave that at the door? How do I how do I leave a broken relationship? At the other at, on the other side of that, hey, I just I've I've got a new baby brother. He was just born yesterday. How do how do I do I want to leave that at the door? You know, Christmas is this week, and I know that there's this big box under the tree, and I think I know what that present is. Do I want my Do I want my seventh grader to leave that at the door? Hmm. Man, I just I just I asked this girl out, and she said yes. Do I want to leave? Do I want my <laughs> students to leave that at the door? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea, the idea that it's it's about the music, I think, is just we just need to. I, it's, it's awful strong, but we need to condemn that. Yeah, it's not. There isn't a major chord in the world that's good. There isn't a major chord in the world that's that's awesome or right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people <laughs> people are good or right or or well or unwell, and so the the music only reveals that, and and it can only reveal that when they bring their whole person, brokenness and all to the music making process when when we authentically show up in the rehearsal mess and all 
And we work through that mess together to become something greater than we can be without, to heal some of the mess together. That's when music making is at its most powerful. It's not an escape. It's an embrace. <laughs> Preach. Yes. And, 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 and what's beautiful about creating when working toward creating that music at the end of the day, I mean, the music itself is the model for, for, you know, who we want to become, right. Cause it's, you know, working together and, you know, flaws and all and, and creating something beautiful. Cause that's how we want to be as people. Um, but it, it's funny how even, even something is as, um, significant as that, can can really get in the way of of who we are if we focus too much on uh, on the product versus the production. Yeah, it's a terrible terrible catch twenty two. Yeah, know, some of my colleagues who are more who are more maybe interested in the music or would accuse me of being touchy feely or sure. you know fill out with <laughs> with whatever <laughs> you know backhanded insult they want to give me would say, well, you know that's just an excuse for poor music making. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know without without arrogance, I would challenge you to take the same students that I work with at day after day and have a musical quality of the same product. I think that we have to go all in on making music making about the people that make the music. We have to go all in on that if we are ever have any desire to achieve the greatest levels of music making. So this conversation about contextual excellence isn't isn't an excuse to explain away bad choral singing or bad conducting or bad teaching. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's a call to, uh, it's a call to make music, a call to kindness, a call to wholeness, a call to investing ourselves completely into the process of making music at the highest levels at the same time that we do everything we can to make human beings the best version of themselves. So I, 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 it's important, I, I would say to your listeners, that kind of balk at this idea of, hey, we need to take care of our musicians. Just come to a concert. And, and on the other hand, I'm not going to touch some people unless my music making is of the highest quality. There are many, many people that don't give a rip what I think about people and, and taking care of folks until they hear that the choir is killer. Mm-hmm. And then when they hear that the choir's killer and making music at the highest levels, suddenly they're very, very interested. So I think that we as, as folks that, that care about people and are committed to kindness, we need to double down on our music making because nobody's going to listen to us about the more important thing until we demonstrate that we are masters of making music at the highest levels, whatever that, whatever that means with the group of people that we're fortunate to work with every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also think about like the people like in a, at a middle school level, like kids aren't going to open up to you or to the people around them unless they there's a sense of trust and you can't yep. just force sixth graders to just, OK, let's sing now. Uh, you, ha- yep. you have to build that trust and uh, bonding with them for them to make excellent music. That's absolutely true. You know, you, you can't tell them to leave their their uh, you <laughs> you're going through puberty. Leave it at the door. Yes. It's, no, <laughs> you've got to walk through it with them. You've got to you've got to be you've got to reach you've got to reach them where they're at. And you're absolutely right, Kara. That trust 
You can't make music at the greatest levels unless there's trust. Right. And there can't mm -hmm. be trust unless you actually care. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to trust you because you say, trust me. They're going to tr say they're going to trust you because you've, you've demonstrated over and over that you're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. You know, when you screw up, you say, you know, I'm really sorry. I was wrong. You know, when they celebrate, you celebrate with them because you authentically care about them. When they have a trial, you cry with them and resource them to get them in a better situation. When they're facing something that's bigger with them, you stand in the gap as the adult in the room and you say, no, I'm going to take care of you. Not so that you can be at my concert, but so that you can be safe and whole. You, you, you can only take care of the music as well as you can take care of your people. And that's a really, really important lesson that we don't necessarily learn in school unless we're fortunate enough to work with somebody who lives it. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, and those are the people that, I mean, I would argue that we, that we remember the most, uh, in, in a good way that from growing up and working with other, you know, music teachers and whatever position Absolutely. that would be, those are the ones that you constantly think back to. And, and a lot of times the ones that end up, at least for me, and I know, I know for you, Carrie, like the people that end up sending you a lot of times on the path to pursue something like music in the future or, or whatever that may be. Yep. You, you, oftentimes, you know, as I get older, I, I remember less and less of the music that I performed as a young person. But I absolutely remember how I was treated. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely remember how the person made me feel. I yep. absolutely remember that I loved to be in that space with them. And, you know, it's important to remember that it's not, you know, that we did this great piece of repertoire. It's that we connected with a human being. That's what changed our lives as musicians. Oh, that's good. Man, that was only point number one. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Beyond the Measure, a podcast for music educators. We hope you learned something that will help you stress less about how to teach so that you can focus more on who you're teaching. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this podcast with other music educators. See you in the next one. <laughs>